message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Good morning. Can't tell you what a privilege it is to be here. Is that that me? I don't know who it is. Hopefully it's not me, because that's going to be a long morning if that happens. I'm just going to stay still. I've been looking forward to this opportunity when uh, your pastor asked me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your pastor, Daryl. As he already stated, and I won't, I won't belabor it too long, um, the Lord definitely joined our hearts together. Um, I appreciate him so much. Love him like a, a brother, friend. Care for him, his family. So I'm thankful to be here. Uh, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to spend some time in God's Word with you, worshiping. Uh, Rick, I don't think, knew what I was talking about this morning, and uh, by, by God's Sovereign, great. By God's sovereign grace, he, he orchestrated the songs along with what we're, we're going to be talking about. Can we take just a moment and pray together before we dive into the Word? Let's pray. Father, You are good. We are in awe of You, Your amazing work that You have done, that You are doing that you will do. We stand amazed in your presence. We stand amazed at how you orchestrate affairs of our lives, how you have demonstrated and continue to demonstrate your love for us through the person of Jesus Christ. Please draw our attention to yourself as we worship you in the word. May the Spirit of God work in each of our lives. May I be a vessel emptied of myself, Filled with you, in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2. About four years ago, four or five years ago, I, my wife and I decided to purchase a basketball hoop for our boys for Christmas. And so, I wanted to buy a nice one, and I did. I bought a, a really nice one. We had to actually dig a foundation, pour the cement and all that good stuff. And I wanted to make sure it was all ready to go on Christmas morning. So, ahead of time... We, uh, we dug out the hole and we set up the, the, the forms and poured the cement and put in the J-hooks and all of that was already ahead of time. And the kids were asking what in the world this thing was. And so I told them it was an outdoor toilet. Now don't judge me. I just wanted to make sure they didn't know what it was. Outdoor toilet, and they were, they were kind of perplexed about this whole thing. I just said, well, you don't have to come in the house all the time. Just stay out there, hang out there, it's be good. We'll encase it, don't worry, it won't be cold out there. It'll be fine. But back in the back area, I have a, a container. I had the basketball hoop. I was putting it together, following the instructions. I love to follow instructions. I have no problem putting things together as long as I have instructions, get the thing. Step one, and generally speaking, it's in Chinese or something, so you look at all the images, and it works out great for you. Look at the, the thing, follow the steps, get it done. Uh, the day before Christmas, I had a, a crew of guys come over. We put the thing up in place, and the kids weren't going outside all day. Uh, Christmas morning comes, we brought them all outside, and they saw it, and they were just amazed. This thing is its beautiful. It's more than they could have ever imagined. And I, I look back and think, man, that's pretty nice. 
I like what I what I did. I like the, the, it's it's straight. It's it's got a level foundation. It's 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 st- standing there. It's great. This is a good thing. Handiwork. I, I like that kind of thing. But but I, I when I think about real handiwork, I think about things that are going to last forever. This morning we want to continue to worship God. We want to continue to stand in awe of the mighty things that God does. And Ephesians chapter 2 does that for us. What we want to note before we begin is when God makes something, it is a masterpiece. He never makes a mistake. Think back to the creation of the world. God saw at the end of the day, it is good. And God saw at the end of the day, it is good. And then in the end of the sixth day, remember, God saw all that He had made and behold, it was very good. Good. This is what God does. And we want to worship God in that reality. So, I'm trying to cover chapter 2, and your pastor gave me a half an hour to do it. So, I'm used to like 50 minutes, so I'm going to be like on fast track here. I'm just going to, rather than formalities and sermon making here, I'm just going to kind of lay stuff out for you. The first section, verses 1 through 8, we're going to just say one of the works of God is He brings us from death to life. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 here, 1 through 9, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what God's word says. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In other words, just like everyone else. Children of wrath, because we were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 4, But God... But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we see from death to life. And really you could, as kind of a subheading, you could say from wrath, verse 3, to kindness in verse 7. This is what God does. No one else can do this. No one can bring us from death to life. I can't bring myself from death to life. I can't bring you from death to life. But God can. This is the greatness of our God. He is a master worker. His works are manifold. They're many. They're multifaceted. They're incredible. From death to life. From wrath to kindness. As we look at the next section from verse 10 down through verse 18, what we'll note is this from separate to access. From separate to access. Beginning in verse 
10. For we, we are His, what does it say? Workmanship. Poema is the Greek term. And it has the idea of a work of art. A work of art. We are God's work of art. The song we sang, many want to make us feel guilty and shame and insufficient. And the reality is it's, it's true. I am guilty. I am ashamed. I am insufficient. But not in Christ. In Christ, according to Colossians 2.10, I am complete. Complete. We are His masterpiece. Incredible. We are His masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at the further contrast here. He says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, listen, you were without Christ. I didn't have Him. Had, had no possession of Him. Without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Having no hope. And without God in the world. Without hope. Without God. Without promise. Without Christ. What do you call, it? You call that futility? Emptiness? Loneliness? Insufficiency, that's what we have of our own accord. This is where we were. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. From separate, outside, no help, no hope, no promise, no God, no Christ brought near. How? The blood of Christ. This, friends, is a work of God. This is His handiwork. No one else can do this. Verse 14, For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to, here's our, a key word here, create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That brings us back to verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And here He tells us what we're created for. We're created from this separation, this enmity, this non-access, this outsider, this stranger, this alien, this hopelessness, this helplessness, this pilgrimage, this strangerhood. He's brought us near. And He's taken two groups that were diametrically opposed at one point and He fleshes them together. This is the glory of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and He preached peace to you who were afar off. But He didn't just preach to us. 
He preached to those who were near. Jew and Gentile. Gentile and Jew. They both needed this peace. Verse uh, verse 18 now. For through Him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit to the Father. And who is the, the cause of this? The blood of Jesus Christ. He's taken that which was separate and made it one. From separate and alienated to having access and fellowship. God has given us a glimpse of this. Now, we experience it when we come to church. We experience it when we meet a new believer that we haven't met before. We experience that bond. But God has also given us a glimpse of the future and what this is all like when when all of the walls of discrimination are gone. When it's, when it's all done, no more, you're from the south, I'm from the north, you have a funny accent, you have a funny look, whatever the case may be. All that stuff's gone. God gives us a little insight into that. Now, you don't have this in, in, on the screen here, but if you want to turn, you can turn to Revelation 5, or you can just listen. I'm just going to read it quickly. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. This is some of my very favorite verses in all of Scripture. Listen to what God's Word says. Worthy are you, as the the group of believers in heaven gather around the throne of Jesus Christ, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so this is that same concept that we have in Ephesians chapter 2. There was a distinction. There was difference. God has broken down that separation. God has given us all access through Christ and the Spirit of God into the presence of God. So from separation to access. Verses 1 through 9, from death to life, or from wrath to kindness. Verses 10 through 18, where from separate, from distinction, to access and union. Now, the, the, the main portion of the text that I want for us to focus in is these verses 19 through 22. And what we'll kind of capital, uh, c- capture that with is this. From distant to intimate. From distant to intimate. And what we'll see is that there are three illustrations here in these few verses, 19 through 22, of intimacy with God through Jesus. Intimacy with God through Jesus. This, again, this is what God has done. The first image that he gives us, the first illustration, is that of citizenship. Citizenship. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. He's already told us in verse 12, as well as again here in verse 19, that Gentiles, those who are not Jews, they're, they're seen as foreigners, aliens, strangers and foreigners, however you want to express it. But here in verse 19, he says, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. The term stranger has this idea. It's someone who is allowed into a land for a temporary visit. You've probably had a passport before. And maybe you've gone into another country. They don't let you stay there indefinitely. They, they say, particularly if you go to a, a closed-type country like Israel, they want to know how long you're going to be here, when you're leaving, why you're here, 
And what are you going to bring with you when you leave? Very, very, very specifically. When you go there, you are a stranger in that land. You are not particularly welcomed other than the fact that you have money and the people on the streets can, can get that money out of you by trying to negotiate deals. Stranger, you're allowed for a temporary visit. Now, a foreigner is a little bit different. A foreigner is those who are allowed to reside in a community without citizenship. So, yeah, you can come in. You can be part. You can, you can, you can, you can be a part of this, but you don't have all the rights and privileges. You don't have full, unhindered citizenship. Well, listen to what he says in verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers, allowed a temporary visit, and foreigners allowed to stay, but you're not really a part, but fellow citizens with the saints. The citizenship is God taking us from being an outsider. You can almost kind of look at like, uh, like concentric circles. You were dead. You were without hope. You were filled with wrath. You were a stranger. You were a foreigner. But now, as we get toward the middle of this circle, now you're a citizen. Now, not only are you allowed to come in, you can be a part. Now, I don't know if you've experienced being at a place and kind of feeling, well, I'm here. I'm allowed to be here. I can hang here. But I don't really feel a part. Now, in some ways, uh, your pastor and I experienced that just this last couple weeks because we came in and there was a group of chaplains that were already there at at phase one. And when we came in, we were just kind of like the other guys that came in. They already established like a team camaraderie, a a, a kinship together, a a friendship together. And we come in and, well, we're allowed to be part of everything, but we don't have that bond that they already established. So we're kind of like feeling like outsiders. We're there, but you're not really a part. They've already established, you know, kind of jokes and different things that they've, they've gathered together in. And we're not part of it. After a little while, you start to, to feel more reception, more kindness, more of a relationship. Well, what we see here, what God is doing, is He's taking us from that outsider position. And He's allowing us to be citizens with all the rights and privileges. Now, we see this in other places in Scripture as well, like Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we really belong? We belong in heaven. But see, that citizenship of heaven is supposed to make its way down here, isn't it? Isn't that what the church is about? We come together, we say we're a family. A family. Well, that's, that's part of that citizenship. God has done this. He's taken us from being strangers and He's made us citizens of heaven. And, and as joint citizens of heaven, we have that familiarity. But he does us one step further here, even in verse 19. He takes us not just from strangers to citizens, but he actually makes us part of the family. We call this kinship. Kinship. Look at the end of verse 19. And members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. Now the word there, household, has the idea of related by blood. Related by blood. I'm not just like a a resident. I don't just get to come near. I'm actually the blood. Blood. You've heard the expression, blood is thicker than water? Well, I know a blood relationship that's better than, than physical blood relationship, don't you? 
This is a blood relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. It's amazing. As you look through the, the, the scriptures, we see this being brought to our attention. I, I want you to turn with me to a couple of passages, if you would. Take a look at Ephesians 1 for just a moment. Being part of a family conveys a deeper level of intimacy and belonging. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, we start to see the blessings that are associated with, with our relationship in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to what? To adoption as sons, how? By Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. God has taken us who were outsiders, who were at enmity, and He's actually not just given us the privilege of citizenship, He's actually adopted us into His own family. It tells us here. Uh, take a look at chapter 3 as well of Ephesians. Ephesians 3. Paul's prayer for the church. This is the second time he offers a prayer for them. He says in verse 14 of Ephesians 3, For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. What's your name? What is your name? Well, you think, well, my last name is Clark. And I like that name. It's short. It's not that hard. Some people have long, complicated names. Clark, it's good. I identify with that. What, what's your name? I'm named after my father. In heaven, the whole family in heaven and earth is named after him. That is my identity. That is who I am. In chapter 5 and verse 1, he says this, Therefore be imitators of God as what? Dear children. Children of God. So God has taken us from death and wrath, without hope, strangers, aliens, foreigners. He's taken us in as citizens of heaven. And He's taken us in to His very own family. The, the picture I want you to feel and sense from Romans chapter 8. I, I know you're familiar with the passage. In Romans chapter 8, this is what God's Word says. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You know the, the, the whole picture behind Abba Father. It's that intimacy. And the way that I, I see it most, and I can sense it most, is when I see my little boy, I get a little, a little peanut, Asa. He's 18 months old. And he doesn't do anything without a little bit of gusto. He, he, he comes running over and he'll, he'll like look at me and he'll tug on my leg. And, ah, dada, dada. What daddy is not going to reach down and lift that boy up? The relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ 
God has poured out His Spirit into our spirit, into our soul. And that Spirit enables us to cry out, Daddy, Father, the intimacy of relationship with God. Now the way that Galatians 4 says it, it doesn't say that the Spirit's in us and we cry out. It says the Spirit's in us crying out, Abba, Father. And so not only is God telling us that we have the privilege of calling out and recognizing the intimacy of our relationship with Him, He also tells us that the Spirit dwells in us and through us cries out, Abba, Father. This is just incredible. Again, we see a work of God. It's a masterpiece of God. It's the handiwork of God taking us from, from death, taking us from wrath, taking us from no hope, taking us from being without God, without Christ, without promise, without purpose, and He's placed us into citizenship. And He's placed us into relationship, family, kinship with Him. This is what God has done. We can't. You can't do this for someone. It's, it's the handiwork of God. He's given us these images. The first, that of citizenship. The second, kinship. And now third, I'm going to borrow off a word from earlier, workmanship. Workmanship. And, and, and I, I want to just assure you, as we get into this, you'll see that it is a step closer to intimacy. Verse 20, please. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As we look at this section on workmanship, I want for us to notice the repetition of concepts. Beginning of verse 20, having been built. Having, past tense, been, passive voice, meaning someone else is doing this. It's not like I'm building myself on having been built. Someone else is building me on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Look at verse 20. In whom the whole building being fitted together. Again, this is not our work. It's something from outside of us. It's passive voice. Someone else is fitting us together. Being fitted together, it grows. This temple, this construction, this workmanship grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, In whom you also are being built. Again, the emphasis is that we're not doing this. Someone else is. This, again, is the handiwork of God. As His workmanship, He's crafting us into His temple. What is the temple for? The residence. The residence of God. So, citizenship, it's pretty cool. I can be a part. I'm, I'm part of the kingdom. I can contribute. I get privileges. That's nice. Kinship. That's, that's awesome. I'm a part of the family. Like, I have this, this intimacy, this love, affection, and I know that my Father will respond to me. And then, He takes it a step 
toward a closer bit of intimacy when he says, I'm building you, I'm building you as part of this glorious temple in which I dwell. Friends, that's the deepest, deepest intimacy. We are part of the very work of God. We're not just on the fringes. We're not just a project he works on every now and then, like, you know, that thing that you've been telling your wife you're going to do. Don't remind me every six months. I'm going to get to it, dear. It's not like that he pulls it out every now and then, works on it a little bit. No, this is, this is his project. Remember, everything God does, he does just right. It's a masterpiece. That's us feel like a masterpiece? No. I feel, I feel wretched so often. I get frustrated. I get irritated. I get critical. I can be judgmental. I, I can be lack, you know, lacking in uh, long-suffering, not, not being easy to deal with. Those, I, don't, I don't feel good about that. But when we realize who we are in Christ, we're God's workmanship, and it's going to be done right. Look at how he says it. Verse, verse 20 again. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we, we know that what we do, what we are, it's all built on the work that God has done through the apostles and prophets. He's given us revelation through those apostles and prophets. And so the church is based upon the truth that God has revealed, right? That's, that's the idea. Then there's the cornerstone. It says in verse 20, Jesus Christ... Himself being the chief cornerstone. Himself. He's the chief cornerstone. This, this is worthy of some attention here. Take a look, please, at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read it out of the ESV. My Bible that I preach out of is the New King James. The ESV has a beautiful reading of 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just going to read it from there. Uh, I'm not sure what version of the Bible you have, but I'll read from 1 Peter 2, 4-7 through 7 in the ESV. Here's what it says. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Listen carefully. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, before Jesus became the cornerstone, He was first rejected, wasn't He? He experienced turmoil and pain. In fact, if you were to look at the passage in Psalm 118 that's referencing the cornerstone there, the stone that the builders rejected to become the chief of the corner or the chief cornerstone, it says there after that, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. But... You know what's going on there? He's being rejected, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Why is it marvelous in our eyes that the cornerstone was rejected? Because if he weren't rejected, he wouldn't have been the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the, 
the cornerstone who is rejected, but in the sight of God who is chosen and precious, is precious in our eyes because that chief cornerstone has been laid down as the, the absolute essential stone for the church. The, the, the foundation of the apostles and prophets are based on that chief cornerstone. He sets the pace. A cornerstone is laid down first. On top of that cornerstone, we have the revelation that God has given us in the New Testament. So we, 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 we recognize that. And, and it aligns with Him. Every stone that's put into this building, this holy temple, aligns with Him. That's what the cornerstone does. It serves as the alignment tool. Listen to this statement from Harold Horner. He wrote in Isaiah 28:16, it, the cornerstone, is called a testing stone, or literally a stone of testing. It is that stone by which every other stone in the foundation and the superstructure must be measured. Thus, the building of the new person, the church, must be in conformity with the cornerstone, Christ Jesus. The cornerstone was the most important stone in the whole building. All other stones were to be in line with it. Christ Himself is the living cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets who make up the rest of the foundation needed to be correctly aligned with Him or with Christ. All succeeding believers, listen carefully, all succeeding believers are built on that foundation, and it's causing their lives to be measured with Christ. Now, we could get really, really foaming at the mouth here, and, I, and we could start to talk about how you and I, we need to start measuring ourselves by Christ. But whose handiwork is Ephesians 2 talking about? Whose handiwork is it? It's God's handiwork. Who does the aligning? He does. Who does the shaving? He does. Now listen, he talks about that this, this thing is being built and it's, being grow, it's growing, it's being fitted together. Listen to, to this. The, the way that they used to do it, they don't, didn't use mortar like we do today. You, you can put on a, a brick today. It can be kind of a little bit out of square. And you can put some mortar on there and you can fit it in and it's just fine. That's not how they did it back then. It was stone to stone. So they had to, to cut and shave and sand these stones so that they fit perfectly. This is what God's doing in, in the lives of His people. How does it feel? How does it feel when God has to shave you? How does it feel when God has to sand you? It doesn't feel good. Something's wrong. Something's out of alignment with Christ. The chief cornerstone. I'm not in alignment with it. I'm not in alignment with the, the teaching of the apostles and prophets. God's revelation. Something's wrong. And God's at work. And so He's... Sometimes pruning. He's sometimes shaving. He's sometimes sanding us. And that, that process may not feel so good, but we know what it's leading toward. His handiwork is making us like His Son. Little Christs. Christ ones. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Putting off the old man, right? But we put on the new man which was created by God according to true righteousness and holiness. That's 
When we put on the new man, we're putting on Christ. And when we have that new man on, because we've died to ourselves, we've surrendered ourselves, Christ is seen. We are in alignment with that cornerstone. This is a process that God is involving himself in. He tells us it's a growing process. This is not a done deal. It's not finished. I love, I love the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He said to them, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. Well, that means the word is Petros, stone. I tell you, Peter, on this rock, Petra, bedrock, I tell you, little stone, on this rock, this bedrock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This concept of the the temple is a growing entity. It's not static. It's not like, hey, look, that that building over there, it's done. Isn't that beautiful? It's, It's a constantly growing entity, an organism that God has built and is building. What's the purpose of it all? We're trying to, trying to move through these things. What's the purpose of it all? Verse 22. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God wants to... Now, in this, this, this is a corporate verse here. This is a corporate verse. This, this isn't the God dwells in the individual believer. That is attested to elsewhere, right, in the Scriptures. This is... God wants to dwell amongst and in and through His temple, the church. This is a corporate verse. This is a little different than Ephesians 1.13 and 14 where He says, when you trusted Him, the Spirit came and He dwelt in you and He dwells in you as a, as a, a promise, a guarantee of your salvation. That's an individual concept here in chapter 2. It's a, a corporate concept. God wants to dwell in His church through us. This is what God wants to do. When we come together, who's the superstar? How many churches have you been in where the, the guy behind the pulpit's the superstar? That's, that's not a good place, friends. There are, is no superstar but one. His name is Jesus. He's the hero of the Scriptures. And that's the concept that is being conveyed here is that the, the purpose of it all is that the church would be a revelation, a reflection, a demonstration of Jesus Christ because we are a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. This is not a work that we can accomplish. It's not like, oh, if I'll do things X, Y, and Z, God will dwell in me and then suddenly I'll be a manifestation. No, this is a work that only God can do. Just like death to life. Just like from wrath to kindness. Just like from separation, from without Christ, from without hope, without God in the world, without promise, to having access is only done by God. Just the same way, we're no longer strangers and foreigners. We're citizens. Oh, even better, we are kin. We're blood. We're in the family. And even better, we are the dwelling place of God through the Spirit. We can't do this, friends. It's God's handiwork. We, we, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of God's masterpiece. It's His favorite work. That's why He calls us the bride of Christ. There's nothing better than that. God's given His people the privilege 
of being part of that process, being, being worked on. This leads us to a couple of questions as we close. I'm already three minutes past my time. Three questions, uh, two questions as we close. We've just considered some of God's amazing handiwork. Have you experienced that work in your life? Have you experienced the difference between enmity and intimacy? Well, the Bible tells us there's only one way that can take place. It's always through the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 11 and following, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He's the, that the builders, he has become the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the way that we go from enmity to intimacy, by knowing Jesus Christ, God's Son. The second question is this. If you're a believer, we've seen that God is still fitting us together. What area is God shaving in your life? What area is God sanding in your life right now? And, I, and I'd say that the, the follow-up question is, how are you responding to that shaving? Because we know it doesn't feel good. But we're able to look, look to the, the end of the whole deal. What is God doing through this sanding and shaving and chiseling of me? If you're, if you're a believer, are you embracing the work that God is doing in your life? We can, we can exalt God's handiwork. We ought to exalt God's handiwork. And we have to imp- appreciate and embrace, while it doesn't feel good, those things that are going on to make us that masterpiece that He's intending to make us. This is a work of God. We love Him for it. We, we rejoice in it. We sing about it. We pray about it. We rejoice together and we encourage one another in it. You look at someone that's struggling, come alongside of them. Be that one that says, hey, look at God's at work in your life. God is, God is going to use this. Not in a trite way, not in a, a flippant way, but in a way that's there to support and, and strength together. God is at work and we rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've taken us from death to life. Thank you that you've given us what we could never provide for ourselves. Grace. Life. Intimacy. Thank you that you want to live through us. We ask that you'd help us to be vessels fit for your use. Help us to be a source of blessing and encouragement to one another. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of our exalted one, our cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Amen. listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.